You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. separation from God. That's the result of religion. Why? Why are those the results, Dave? Because you can never do enough and you can never be good enough. You can never do enough work to get there and you can never be good enough to get there. You're always dissatisfied. You're always empty. Why? Because there's no spirit to guide you. There is no spirit to guide you into all truth. There is no spirit to guide you into salvation. You are on your own. You do it or you don't do it. It's all about you. Do you understand the implications of religion? When you follow the rules of the religion without first developing a relationship with God, you start to rely on yourself and the rules rather than God. Pastor Dave clarifies in today's message how you can first develop a relationship with God and rely on Him rather than yourself. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 10 as he continues his message, Religion versus Relationship. And when you look at the activities of what we might think is religious, such as going to church, reading your Bible, giving your time and money, helping others, hanging out with other Christians, even praying various rote prayers, all these activities are good in and of themselves. But they are futile alone to obtain salvation. They are futile alone to obtain salvation. It doesn't work. Just being involved in these activities will not give you an assurance of salvation. Ask John Wesley. They will not give you an assurance of salvation. Unfortunately, religion is more about man than it is about God. I mean, religion is based on man. Man's efforts, man's attempts, man's good work. Religion is man-made. It's man's attempt to get to God, to get close to God through a series of laws and through a series of works. Religions are based on traditions of men and rituals. The more good works you do, the more God will like you and grant you salvation. Well, how many works do I have to do? Well, that depends upon who you talk to and what religious sect you're looking at. There's a lot of different things. They all have their own rules. There's no one right rule because they're all different. And you become lost in a sea of legalism, lost in a sea of of hope, hope because you can't find it. You can't find what you're looking for. Religion is based on my efforts. Religion is based on my good works. The goal of religion is to reach out to God and get to heaven. That's good. But it's a goal means you have to work your way to heaven. You know, things like lighting so many candles, saying the prayer, saying prayers over and over and over and over again, knocking on doors constantly. Those are works. Those are man-made works. They will not obtain you salvation, as good as they may be. In religion, it's work that determines salvation. What's the power behind religion? The power behind religion is man. My good work. My good effort. My good self-determination. The thought of religion is surely God will not despise my good works and my hard effort. 
Surely God will allow that to happen. I'll never forget on, on Labor Day, quite a few years ago, my mother and father were down, and unfortunately we were watching the crash of Princess Diana, and her death was all over the screen. And I'll never forget my mother coming out, and she was almost in tears. Oh, she was such a good woman. She did so many good things for so many people. I'm sure that she's in heaven. I said, Mom, you don't understand. It's not about all the good works you do. It's not about all the great things that you do. You mean she's not going to heaven? I said, I didn't say that. That's between her and her maker. But the Bible clearly says that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, no, you're not. Oh, but she's done such good work. I said, yeah, she did. The chances of her being saved are probably great. But we don't know for sure. Good works don't get you into heaven. She was amazed. In Matthew, in the seventh chapter of Matthew, Jesus said something. He said something pretty strong. And he said words that make my blood run cold. Words that make my blood so shrill that I have to shudder every time I read them. Beginning in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Oh, oh, oh. Is he talking to religious people? Those who did all the works and were expecting to enter into the kingdom of God? Was he talking to the religious? Who controls religion? You control yourself in religion. It's self-control, self-motivation. And what are the results of religion? What are the results of religion? Well, I can tell you what the results that I found. Apathy, failure, chronic guilt, eternal separation from God. That's the result of religion. Why? Why are those the results, Dave? Because you can never do enough and you can never be good enough. You can never do enough work to get there and you can never be good enough to get there. You're always dissatisfied. You're always empty. Why? Because there's no spirit to guide you. There is no spirit to guide you into all truth. There is no spirit to guide you into salvation. You are on your own. You do it or you don't do it. It's all about you. Answer me this. Did you ever get up one day, early in the morning, you rose early in the morning, you opened up your Bible, and you started to read your Bible, and the Lord's slamming you with all kinds of wonderful things and wonderful thoughts, and you're having a beautiful time, and you pray, and you're having a wonderful time, and then you go about your day, and you get hammered and hit, and all kinds of things go wrong, and you go, what's wrong with this? Didn't I pray this morning? Didn't I have great fellowship with God this morning? How come I'm getting hammered? That's religion. Thinking because you spend time with God, you're going to have a great day. That's religion. Thinking that you're going to do something that God will recognize and say, I'll grant you a good day because you're a good boy. That's religion. That's what religion looks like. Thinking you can gain God's favor through work is religion. God will never love you more than he loves you right now. God will never love you more than he loves you right now. God is always the same. His love never ends. His love never fails. His love casts out all fear. His love covers the multitude of sin. His love is ever constant. It never changes. He never will love you more than you are loved right now. If you never did another thing for the Lord, God's love will still be the same. 
He loves the greatest sinner out there in the world as much as he loves you right now. They just don't know it. Jeremiah proclaimed, Oh Lord, you've loved me with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. Cornelius was searching. He didn't, he, he wanted to know what he did, wanted to do. He didn't know he didn't want these Roman gods. He knew that they wouldn't satisfy his needs. He chose Judaism. He was as close to Judaism as he could get without being a proselyte. And according to Acts 13, verse 16, many men who feared God, and this fear, when they feared God, it made them ripe for a harvest. Cornelius was ready. He was more than willing, and God was more than able to answer his need. You know, of all the religious activities that Cornelius did and was involved in, the one that stands out the most to me is prayer. He was involved in prayer. Cornelius was a man of prayer. And although he was not able to offer the religious sacrifices in the temple because he was forbidden to offer those sacrifices, he presented his prayers to God as a sacrifices. Could this be acceptable to God? Could our prayers as a sacrifice be acceptable to God? In Psalm 141, 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice. And when I cry out to you, let my prayer be set before you as incense, lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. Matthew Henry says prayer is a spiritual sacrifice. It is the offering up of the soul and its best affections to God. Cornelius was praying as a sacrifice. Paul tells the Christians in Rome, in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Through prayer, we present to God our bodies. We present to God our lives as a sacrifice that his will would be done. As we continue, we read in verses 3 to 6 about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly a vision of an angel of God coming in and saying, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up before a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. Send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. For he is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Cornelius is a man of prayer. Cornelius is a man who prayed always to God. Cornelius was walking in the light that he had been given. Do you hear that? Cornelius was walking in the light that he had beginning and, in, and the knowledge that he had of the Lord. That's what he was walking in. And that's all he could walk in because he didn't know any else. We are supposed to walk into the knowledge and the love of the Lord that we have in the light of the Lord that we've been given to you. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 12, it says that a man will be a judge according to the knowledge of the light that he's received. But if we are always to walk in the light and the knowledge that we have, and if we walk in the light that we do have, then what happens? God gives us more light, and he gives us more understanding. And that's what happens. As we're living up to the fullness of the faith that God has given us, he gives us more to live up to. Cornelius was seeking God. He hadn't found God yet, but as he was seeking God, praying to God, doing the things that God had led him to do, God was giving him more and more and more understanding, and this was going to lead to salvation. You wonder about the pygmies in Africa? That's what it is. That's how it happens. According to Rome, they're to see God's glory in his creation, and they're looking at that and know that there's something different, and as they seek the creator, he will reveal to them the path to salvation. That's what God does. And that's what God is doing right now to Cornelius. He shows him the way. 
We don't know how much light Cornelius had, but what we do know is that he knew who God was. He reverenced God. He feared God, and he prayed to God continually. He gave out alms to the people. So an angel comes to Cornelius and says, hey, Cornelius, yo, Cornelia, buddy, God is aware of your prayers. He's aware of your giving. They've come up before a memorial to God. Why did God hear Cornelius' prayer? What was Cornelius praying for? What was Cornelius praying for? Well, you know, I always say that the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And in chapter 11 of the book of Acts, in 13 and 14, it says, And he told us, Peter is saying, And Cornelius told us that he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and all your household will be saved. What was Cornelius praying for? Salvation. He was praying a prayer of salvation. That is one prayer that God always hears. God will not deny the prayer of salvation. He will not despise a broken and contrite heart. He will not deny that prayer when it comes from the heart, when it comes from someone who is completely broken and on their knees and knows that there's no place else to go. That is the one prayer he will hear. Does he hear the prayers of the unrighteous? Not according to Peter. In 1 Peter 3, verse 13, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But God always hears the prayer of salvation. What a wonderful God we have. Of all the prayers I want God to hear, that's the one I want him to hear most. The prayer of salvation. The prayer I can be sure of, because when you read the scriptures, it says the perfect will of God is that all would come to the knowledge. All would be saved. So when you pray the prayer of salvation, you are in God's perfect will. What, more, what better place can you possibly be than in God's perfect will? Matthew Henry declared in his commentary, Now that God has given a further record concerning his son than what we had been given in the Old Testament prophecies, he requires that we receive this when it is brought to us. And now neither our prayers nor our arms can come up before God a memorial unless we believe in Jesus Christ, for it is further which we ought to do. This is his commandment that we believe. Prayers and alms are accepted by those that believe that the Lord is God and have an opportunity of knowing more. But for those to whom it is preached that Jesus is Christ, it is necessary for the acceptance of their persons, prayers, and alms that they believe this, that Jesus is Christ and rest upon him alone for acceptance. What he's saying here is that when you pray up the prayer and you believe, you can only pray up to what you believe. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have to pray in believance of him. Cornelius believed and trusted God for salvation. He believed and trusted God that God was able to grant him salvation. And that's why he was seeking Judaism, because he knew they served the true living God. He knew where to find God. In verses 7 and 8, it says, And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to him, he sent them to Joppa. Being a military man, Cornelius knew how to receive orders as well as give them. He obeyed the Lord and he sent men to Joppa to find Peter. We get another glimpse into Cornelius' character. He was obedient to the Lord. He was obedient to what he was being told. Cornelius is in the great spot right now. He is moving from a religion to being in a relationship. Cornelius is moving from death to life. What a great place for him to be. Let me ask you a question. You have a religion today or are you in a relationship? Maybe you're stuck somewhere in the middle. Or maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about when I say relationship. 
What am I talking about when I speak of a relationship? Well, our good friend Webster defines a relationship like this. A connection by blood or marriage, kinship, a particular type of connection existing between people related or having feelings with each other. Well, Cornelius knew who God was. He had been searching, seeking out. He had been praying for him for guidance in obtaining salvation, but Cornelius had never placed his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. He had never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He practiced a religion. Christianity is a relationship. It is not a religion. Just like the Gospels, we saw Jesus practicing a relationship with God the Father. And now he goes, turns around and he offers that same relationship to us. A relationship, a one-on-one relationship with God the Father only through Jesus Christ. Through his death on the cross and the forgiveness of sins. Well, how do we get this? Well, there's only one way to get this relationship. Faith in God's begotten son, Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers says this. The New Testament example of Christian experience is that of a personal, passionate devotion to the person of Jesus Christ. This is a relationship. This is a relationship. This relationship begins by believing in all your heart that Jesus' death upon the cross satisfied the debt for sin that was placed on the mankind after Adam sinned in the garden. The debt that man had paid, who couldn't pay? We couldn't pay the debt, the debt. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, as we said this morning during communion. He stood in our place, and he was accepted our penalty for our sin. The relationship continues when we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, raised him from death, and now Jesus sits on the right hand of God the Father. And in him, we have eternal life. How do we enter into this relationship? Faith. Faith alone. We believe into a relationship. We're believing it. We looked at the last part of Hebrews 11.6. We're going to look at the first part of Hebrews 11.6 when it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. By faith, we come into this relationship. By faith, we come into this. So we enter into this relationship by the grace of God. We certainly didn't earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It was his unmerited favor, which he freely bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ. We used to sing a song. It was a great worship song we used to sing. It was called the Spirit Song, and I really, really liked it. In fact, I think Pastor Chuck still uses it as the introduction for his uh, uh, radio program, Word for the Day. The Spirit Song went like this. This is the first verse. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. Not by our human endeavor, but by the blood of the Lamb. I love that. That was a great, great song. We enter into his personal relationship through faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Gee, what a coincidence. Webster said that a relationship is a connection by blood. Hmm. We are connected to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We celebrated that this morning in communion. We're connected to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. What's the goal of this relationship? So that we would trust fully in Jesus and then live to please him. That's the goal of the relationship with Jesus Christ. And what means is this accomplished? It's only accomplished one way. We confess our sins. We repent. We turn towards God and we yield ourselves to Jesus Christ. Yield to him and his power and his glory. When we do this, God gives us the power necessary to lead the life. The power is called what? The Holy Spirit. That's the power. That's the source of power that he gives us to live the Christian life. Zechariah declared, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We must allow the Holy Spirit to control and direct our lives. When we're in religion, 
we have control. And we make such a mess of it. But when we're in relationship, the control is given to God Almighty. It's like Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will. Not my wants, your wants. Not my dreams, your dreams. We must allow the Holy Spirit to control and direct our lives. Remember the results of religion, apathy, failure, chronic guilt, separation from God. What are the results of a relationship with Jesus Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, freedom from sin and bondage, a freedom that we've never experienced before, freedom from the guilt that overwhelms us, power to live the life of a Christian, to live as God has told us to do by His Holy Spirit, and best of all, the best thing of all, eternal life with God the Father forever and ever. We're never going to die. We're going to live with Him forever. We're going to be with Him and have fellowship with Him forever and ever. It must have been an Oswald Chambers week because I have another quote from him that I just read this yesterday. Once you are rooted in the reality of Jesus Christ and the certainty of God's redemptive power, nothing can shake you. If your faith is in your experiences, anything can happen, and it is likely to upset you and your faith. But nothing can ever change God or the reality of redemption. Base your faith on that, and you are as eternally secure as God himself. Once you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will never be moved again. This is the meaning of sanctification. God disapproves of our human efforts to cling to the concept of sanctification as merely an experience. I must be deliberately give my sanctified life to God for his service so that he can use me as his feet and as his hands, unquote. Remember I told you I was going to give you a chance to change some things? Time. It's time for that chance. If you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're tired and worn out of trying to please God on your own efforts, if you feel you can't reach God because there's a barrier in the way and you can't scale that barrier, if you feel that your life is ever failure and rejection and guilt is the way you live, and if you feel that you're not good enough, it's time to make a change. It's time to stop practicing religion and move into having a relationship with the one true living God through His blessed Son, Jesus Christ. It's time to come into that deep relationship with your Heavenly Father through faith in Christ. I cannot think of a better gift to give yourself and your loved ones this Christmas day than being born again into a living hope and having salvation through Jesus Christ, giving life eternal. Jesus says, come as you are. Come empty, and I will fill you. He says, come broken, and I will make you whole. He says, stop banging your head on the wall of religion and lay your head instead upon the chest of our beloved Savior. Jesus is saying to you today, it's time. It's time. Put religion away and move into a relationship. Put religion aside and move into a relationship with God the Father through His blessed Son, Jesus Christ. You are assured. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope.